Welcome to the markets. Orion Samuelson here along with Max Armstrong, some special guests as well, with our weekly visit to wrap up the market week on Wall Street at the Board of Trade and at the Mercantile Exchange and to continue the rather boring reports on progress or lack of in the trade discussions between China and the United States. But uh, dateline today is March 3rd, and we're back in the Midwest in Chicago, Illinois, and we'll be reporting from here throughout the summertime. As we left the desert in Arizona, with the temperature getting up to 100 degrees a couple of days before we left. So much for that. Let's look at the numbers today, because we did end the week on a positive note on Wall Street. The Dow Industrial Average up 194 points, and ended the day at 26,501. The S&P 500 up 27 points, ending at 29.45, and the NASDAQ up uh, 125 points today, and that put it at 8,162 at week's end. For the week, the S&P gained a fifth of a point, the Dow down nearly a fifth of a point, and the NASDAQ up a quarter of a point. So what made news today? Well, there's no question that the Labor Department monthly report on employment certainly was the topic that uh, was the center of conversation with investors and traders, and also the uh, numbers that really moved the market today. So, as we take a look at some of the details, the NASDAQ registered a record high close with the S&P 500 just shy of a record high finish. The Labor Department said employers added 263,000 jobs in April. Analysts were expecting creation of 180,000 jobs. And the unemployment rate dropped to 3.6%. A lot of you weren't even around when the lowest uh, level hit back in December of 1969. And average hourly earnings came in just shy of expectations. But the data did support the Federal Reserve's patient stance toward raising interest rates, and of course, that is a positive for stocks. One analyst said, we continue to have stronger and stronger job growth, and it seems like there's less and less inflation, which is really odd. You typically don't see that. Basically, what that signals to the market is that the Fed is on hold, and that could portend for better earnings in the future uh, companies. Boosting the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ today, Amazon.com up 3.2%. That came after Warren Buffett said on CNBC that he was becoming an investor. His company, Berkshire Hathaway, investing in Amazon.com, and that brought uh, shares of the Internet uh, retailing giant higher on the day. 
with nearly 400 of the S&P 500 companies having reported quarterly results so far, three quarters have topped profit estimates, and the upbeat reports have turned around the S&P 500 earnings estimate for the first quarter to an increase of almost 1%. That compares with the 2% decline that was projected at the start of April. Some stock movers today, in addition to Amazon, Newell Brand shares up 13% after the maker of Rubbermaid and other consumer goods exceeded Wall Street expectations. Network gear maker Arista Networks tumbled to 10.4% after it forecast weak current quarter revenue, while Activision Blizzard fell 4.8% after the video game maker forecast current quarter profit below expectations. So, that's what happened today, and uh, we may look at some of the other highlights of the week, but now let's see what's on the calendar for next week. First of all, on Monday, Insurer American International Group plans to announce its first quarter results. The insurer is scheduled to hold a call with analysts on Tuesday to discuss those first quarter results. Oil and gas producer Occidental Petroleum expected to report a decline in first quarter profit. And investors will be looking for any updates on its bid for Anadarko Petroleum Corporation. Tyson Foods likely to report its second quarter sales as the U.S. meat processor continues to face challenges from the U.S. trade disputes with top pork buyer Mexico and Canada. And, of course, an outbreak in China of African swine fever, a fatal hog disease, is helping to lift pork prices. Also on Monday, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago expected to release slides and talking points of President Charles Evans' presentation on current economic conditions and monetary policy. That will be delivered to a closed Bank of Italy seminar in Rome, Italy. So, some of the other activities next week. Uber Technologies scheduled to price its shares in its anticipated initial public offering on Thursday. The ride-hailing company, which is valued at as much as $91.5 billion, is looking to sell up to $9 billion worth of shares in the IPO. On Friday, Uber is set to begin trading on the New York Stock Exchange. First trade likely to take place between 11 a.m. and noon Eastern Time. And also on Wednesday, Uber drivers are expected to strike across U.S. cities against the company's recent 25% wage cut. The company going public with a record of enormous losses, but it's trying to show investors that it can shift from being simply a ride-hailing service to a technology platform for services ranging from delivering groceries and takeaway meals to organizing freight transportation. Looking to other activity, uh, what about government reports and data? 
A ton of it due for the economic calendar next week. On Friday, the Labor Department expected to show consumer price index up four-tenths of a percent in April. And uh, also on Thursday, the Labor Department expected to report producer price index for final demand edged up two-tenths of a percent. And uh, the same day, the department likely to show the producer price index rose 2.4% in the 12 months through April after advancing at a 2.2% rate in the 12 months through March. Back to earnings reports. On Wednesday, Walt Disney Company expected to post a decline in second quarter profit as it incurred costs to build its streaming service, Disney+. And investors will be looking for more details on Disney divesting 21 regional sports networks that it got as part of its deal to buy 21st Century Fox's film and television assets. The uh, hotel chain Marriott International expected to report a higher first quarter profit and revenue on Friday, helped by strong demand for corporate travel in the United States. Sprint Corporation expected to report fourth quarter decline in earnings year on year, but a marginal increase in revenue on Wednesday. And investors will want to learn about Sprint's outlook its details of its new deal with T-Mobile U.S. Electronic Arts expected to post a decline in fourth quarter revenue and profit on Tuesday continues to face intense competition from free-to-play digital games such as Fortunite and other popular titles from its rivals. McKesson Corporation That's the largest U.S. drug distributor expected to report higher fourth quarter sales on Wednesday. The New York Times Company expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Wednesday. And Refiner Marathon Petroleum Corporation expected to post a decline in first quarter profit on Wednesday. Higher sales of millennial favorite Kate Spade and Coach Handbags expected to boost the parent company, Tapestry's third quarter revenue. And Wendy's company expected to report its first quarter same-store sales growth in the United States, helped by its giant Junior Bacon Cheeseburger and made-to-crave hamburger menu lineup. Restaurant traffic numbers will also be in focus. Google expected to host its annual conference for software developers uh, during the week in Mountain View, California. So a lot going on, but that's nothing new on Wall Street. Looking at the oil situation, oil prices inched higher today. Strong U.S. economic data that boosted demand sentiment. And as production losses in sanctions hit Iran and Venezuela, tightened the oil market. U.S. crude closed the day and the week at $61.94 a barrel. That was up 13 cents for the day. Brent crude oil futures settled at $70.85 a barrel. That was up 10 cents for the day. 
So, we're going to turn our attention to the agricultural trade picture, because Max Armstrong is coming into the studio, and uh, he'll be visiting with a farmer and an analyst and a broker from, uh, well, he farms in North Dakota, but he is, of course, headquartered in the Chicago area. Jerry Galke will be joining Max when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. At the microphone with us this weekend, Jerry Gulke, Gulke Group. It has been a while since we have visited, and uh, I wish I could say we've seen substantial improvement in the market since we last talked, but that has not been the case. No, it has not. It's been uh, uh, recently, of course, it's in soybeans especially, it's been like trying to catch a falling knife, and and of course there's a lot of ideas that were too cheap or too cheap, and yet without China, uh, we're not cheap enough uh, compared to our competition, and that's some of the things I think uh, a lot of people overlooked is that, you know, we, we focus on the United States, but it's, you know, it's, there's a saying that says costs are local and you're selling prices global. And so we are the, low, low, we're in, we're the highest priced source, and it's not so much anymore who can produce it the cheapest, it's who will sell it the cheapest. And it's, it's tough, but we got ourselves into a pickle, I think, for a while. <laughs> We've continued to hear the talk this week that probably by the middle part of this month, there will be some kind of an agreement with China. Are, are you paying any attention to those uh, rumors that whipsaw the market? Are you are you listening to those anymore? Or you... Yeah, I, I watch them pretty closely, and we have some political contacts that, you know, think they know, but we sometimes hear that things before we hear it from them. But uh, I think the important thing with what Trump does is that if he does anything with China, with ag when he says he's going to do it. Um, if they do make a deal, it has to be uh, sustained. In other words, and none of this, you know, I've been through this before where, where China or Russia would come and say, well, we'd like to buy your spring wheat in North Dakota if market conditions permit. Well, they never came back and bought because we weren't cheap enough. And so in the same way in beans, we need to, Trump needs to look at this and say, we need to get rid of a half a billion bushels of beans, get them out of this country, and they put them in reserve. All that does is shift it, uh, the total global supply around a little, and they hold some of the carryout. We hold some. And, of course, then we have two major forces that can control the price. If things get too cheap, you just dump some stuff on it. So I think the only other avenue is if he doesn't make it work, they've said they'll help agriculture. And um, Canada did that yesterday and said they're going to low-interest loan for the farmer. All that does is says, uh, I'll loan you the money for free if you put it in. You still got to pay the money back if you can't make money. And so I think the the answer I would have if I were there, I would say we're going to create a marketing loan, raise a loan rate to 9 bucks, put a marketing loan under it like we've had, and then you flush out the, the supply, and somebody doesn't plant, and, and it can't be us. It has to be somebody in Brazil or Ukraine or Russia or somewhere. But... Um, it's very, uh, very taxing. Uh, uh, I think a lot of global traders have just gotten fed up and just say, show me the money. I'm tired of, you know, when was it? December 1st is going to be March 1st, yeah. and now we might make a deal by the end of June, which coincidentally might be exactly the day we come out with a revised acreage report in stocks and all positions, and it could be crazily bullish if it turns out to be bullish um, 
from tariff standpoint. And um, those summer reports are something we need to keep on the radar yeah, screen. Yeah, exactly. Especially the acreage thing, and that may not even be valid because it's your intentions as of June one. Well, my intention, hopefully, is to finish planting corn, but by June thirtieth, we may not have done that. And um, so, how, how excited should we get about uh, this uh, corn market from the standpoint of the inability to plant? Well, I think uh, uh, I look at it and say, how much can we afford to lose before we have a problem? And, and of course, we have about 2.2 billion bushels left over. We need down to around one six. So that's 600 million bushels we need to get rid of. And if we produce 170 million, that's 4 million acres that we need to lose in acres, production, or a combination of the two. So we need to not plant as many acres and see that yield come down. And, of course, with 90 million acres uh, harvested, or 82 million, I guess, harvested, 10 bushels an acre is 800 million. Changes the whole ball of wax here, at least in the United States. But South America in Argentina and, and um, Brazil produced about 800 million bushels more than anybody thought they were going to six months ago. So it's um, we got to get keep that demand going and maybe catch up again someday. I hope it isn't another 20 years before we catch up with with supply. What's the possibility of some, uh, well, to use the, the old uh, term from the past, irrational exuberance here in the marketplace with a market that is heavily short if we continue to see the rains in May? Well, I'm sure there, there's that possibility, and I've heard it like you have uh, in the media. Well, the funds are short, and, um, and that represents a buying opportunity somewhere down the road, short covering, so it's dangerous to be short here. In the meantime, the price of grain have gone down. And I look at the funds who, who manage billions of dollars, probably smarter than I am, for sure, or I'd be doing it, and they get in, they're, they're proactive. They get in a position for what's coming next. And so you need a, a shock, you know, and we've had all this kind of rain. What that tells you is that, again, don't plant 4 million acres of corn, Jerry, and we sure don't need it in the beans. So the alternative now would be prevent plant, and they've messed that up to the point where that's not real attractive, you know, to a lot of people, unless you bought up your coverage and you have a high 200 bushel an acre APH and low rent. So um, there's a lot of things that can happen, but um, uh, you need to see them fall into place. And, of course, the big one is, and that's the thing about, you know, uh, I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning or heard about it at 2 o'clock in the morning, the Chinese put the tariff on, you know. Well, what's going to happen, you know, uh, you know, Trump doesn't like anybody that doesn't like uh, the economy or doesn't like, so you view the speculator or the hedger, and if he says, Jerry, you want to sell grain, you want to be short because you think it's going lower, be my guest, but I'm going to run it up your nose with some kind of announcement. So there's that nervousness. And so no, no wonder the guys that are trading are want just stand aside and say, tell me the trend and I'll pick up half of it along the way. And that leaves us holding the bag. So what are the chances of a Super Bowl bounce of any sort here with uh, prolonged rains? I mean, I'm talking about the corn market. What, what is the possibility? I think it started last week. Uh, in fact, we've been short a lot of grain, as you know, and, and still short in beans uh, considerably. Even out two years. I've never sold beans out two years before, but it's on paper. I can I can get out. But on corn, we did start to lift hedges to the point where we have very little hedged as of as of this week. Uh, and uh, to me, it looks like there's some technical reason for it. There's some common sense reason for it. And uh, I look at it and say, is it corn, fundamentally and technically, you look at it. If this is the best that you can pay me now, then I got a problem a year from now. I mean, I need to take a look at calling a good auctioneer or something. Whereas beans, I can argue that fundamental situation if it comes to, through fruition. Uh, there needs to be a seven in front of beans in order to get rid of them. And, you know, the, we get to these, you maybe recall years ago, they talked about market clearing levels. A lot of people don't know what that means. That's doggone cheap, you know, to get rid of it, to where somebody doesn't plant or you find a new use for it, you know. And uh, But corn, um, like I say, 
Um, I, I think there's a possibility, and usually when we run a, a weather market like we've probably started now, usually lasts four to five weeks to the fruition. You know, you, you build in your worst case, and within six weeks, we saw it in South America, within five or six weeks, where does that take us? It takes us, ironically, to about the middle of June, you know. By that time, we'll know whether we got a lot of it planted. And so I think we watch it carefully and, um, and um, look at some targets. My concern is, I listen to a lot of other analysts, and a lot of them are saying, if you get any pop in this market, you better be selling every 10-cent rally in corn because we're doomed. Uh, they weren't talking like that a year ago or even six months ago, and now everybody wants to sell a rally. Um, it's just like us to end up selling the majority of our corn at $4 and then see it finally something happen, in, in not in June necessarily, but in August, to, to get hot now after being wet. Um, and that turns the apple cart around again and... You know, the perfect storm is out there for China to lock in some prices and say we're going to buy 300, 400 million bushels of corn from you every year for the next five years, until uh, three years until Trump runs again, and we're going to buy some more beans and, um, and put them in reserve and hold them for a rainy day. I never thought I'd see the time where I'd have to rely on one person or, or one situation, let alone tariff, to control my destiny. And... Uh, we're going to write a lot of textbooks on how, to, how we're going to act next time that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Hopefully this is the last one. In summary, what are you telling growers here? As at this particular stage, with very little of the corn crop planted, what's the best guidance you're giving them? Well, we're, we're, we, we have, um, we've accepted risk at this point. In other words, we're, we're probably 20% sold now instead of 70 to 80% in corn. And, of course, we're very very quick to react if they have to. One of the things I've learned is that about the time you think you got a lock on intelligence, then reality sets in and you were wrong. So I tell the guys that work for me, look over your shoulder. What is it that we're missing that we can't can't see coming? You know, it's that black swan event. And right now, um, you know, I look at it at the other side of it. Would you really want to sell corn here? And I just came drove in from from Rockford to uh, Chicago area here, and it. I mean, there's water all over, and this is not. Uh, you know, this is bad. This is bad timing, and we've, now we've got some corn in the ground that's on cold, saturated soils. It's it's not like last year. It's totally upside down from last year. So I think we really have to be cautious here, and uh, and take a look at when prices go up. Then you ask yourself why why are they there, and then I tell the guys that work for me and, and look back, and you know everybody has resistance and support and all that. But every time you print a high and low and last on grain, it has to do with the fundamental situation. Really, we're trading fundamentals. We're not trading technicals, but technicals tell you how, how that's been traded. You look back and say, all right, the last time I was at 284 or, two, uh, or three, 384 or 390, what were the fundamentals and what was I thinking ahead then? Has anything changed? Is this just a, a knee-jerk or a dead cat bounce? Or have the fundamentals really changed to where it's a different supply and demand thing? So it's... It's a constant battle, but it's, but it's fun if you if you do it right. You know you can you can you can make a living. You know Jerry Goki Goki Group. Thank you. Good to see you. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here here to help. 
Turning to the world of agriculture, we have to turn to the weather as rains again prevented a fair amount of planting across the country, particularly in the heart of the Midwest. A lot of rain above normal continuing to add to the snow melt going into the Mississippi and the Ohio and the Missouri rivers. And so it's not just planting that's affected by the weather, it's now shipping. Because today, the U.S. Coast Guard closed the Mississippi River near St. Louis to both boat and barge traffic. Excessive rains and heavy snow melt this spring swelled the major shipping waterway to near record levels. And of course, the river is a key transportation artery for shipments of grain and agricultural chemicals, energy products, and other commodities. And according to the Coast Guard, they closed the river from mile marker 179 to mile marker 184. The Coast Guard said the Mississippi is closed to all vessel traffic due to extremely high water levels and fast-moving currents. The river will reopen, quote, as soon as conditions improve. But the spokesperson said he could not speculate on when that would be. The Mississippi River at St. Louis rose to 38 feet today and expected to rise to 42 and a half feet by Monday. That would be about seven feet below the record crest set in the summer of 1993. Water levels are forecast to steadily recede over the next two weeks. But that outlook could change as more rain is expected across the Midwest next week. So we not only have to keep an eye on wet weather for planting, but now we have to keep an eye on wet weather for the uh, situation and shipping in the inland waterway system in the United States. This story caught my eye this week, and I direct it to those people in my audience who don't understand or appreciate farmers, ranchers, and other producers and their technology for producing the abundant supply of food that we enjoy here in the United States. But listen to this story. Four in ten North Koreans are chronically short of food and further cuts to already minimal rations are expected after the worst harvest in a decade. That report coming from the United Nations World Food Program. And official rations per person in Korea are now under 11 ounces per day per person. And that's the lowest ever for this time of year. They took the uh, assessment of the situation from March 29 to April 12. The population of North Korea estimated at 25.2 million, but that means that 10.1 million people are suffering from severe food insecurity, meaning they do not have enough food till the next harvest. And the country suffered a famine in the mid-1990s. That was believed to have killed as many as 3 million people in North Korea. A U.N. spokesman said they're not using the word famine yet, but that could change 
in a few months or in years. He said, the situation is very serious today. So again, I tell all of my friends, don't take food for granted. Don't take the ability of producers in the United States for granted to provide us with an abundant supply of safe food. This was the week, the annual Wheat Quality Council Crop Tour of Wheat Country in Kansas took place, and it's showing a pretty good outlook for the wheat crop. Kansas wheat yields in at 47.2 bushels per acre, and that is above the five-year average of 40.2 bushels per acre. So we're on the way to a pretty good crop of wheat in Kansas. The uh, Trump uh, U.S. China trade talks, well, same old headline every day. Trump says U.S. China trade deal is going along pretty well. But, uh, oh, he did go on to say he hoped it would be resolved in two weeks. But boy, we've been hearing that headline for the last several months, I think, when it comes to trade negotiations between China and the United States. But there are other trade agreements that are being talked about, and uh, it looks like the uh, trade agreement they're working on with Japan could be uh, finished by the end of May or maybe early in uh, the summer because the Japanese-U.S. trade talks seem to be going very well at this point, according to administration officials. Now, looking at where the markets traded today and where they ended, soybeans were down for a sixth consecutive session. That meant a four-straight weekly drop because the rain-delayed U.S. corn planting could fuel a shift to more soybean acres despite sluggish export demand from top importer China. Corn edged upward for a seventh straight day and notched its first weekly gain in four weeks. So where will we start the trade on Monday? Well, the wheat market will start at uh, 4.28 a bushel, and uh, corn will start at 3.70 and three quarters, and soybeans will start at uh, four or at 8.42 and a quarter. Happens every week. We're out of time. Thank you for joining us on the markets. Mm-hmm.